Hello, and welcome to this edition of People in Transition. I'm your host, Bob Gerst. I've been hiring and mentoring executives, frontline employees, and job seekers for nearly 40 years through a host of transitions, some difficult, but most very good. This experience has given me a bird's eye view on a variety of trends, economies, industry disruptors, and transitions, big and small. It also brought me into contact with the thought leaders and decision makers you need to meet. Imagine knowing exactly what to do next and how to know it's time to make your big job change. We all know transitions can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And it's even fun when you have actionable strategies and proven tactics to achieve the future you want. We'll share with you the tools and skills that can take your dreams to your next great job. So if change is on your horizon, you won't want to miss this discussion. Also, please subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Amy Wanninger, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of People in Transition. I've been looking forward to this. As have I, Bob. Amy, one of the things that I always ask my guests, when you were a young child, what was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I was multi-passionate, even as a child, and I can tell you that my ambitions included being a backup dancer for Janet Jackson, being an astronaut, writing a book, and being a doctor. And I couldn't do all of those things. So I settled for, someday I will be on TV. At that time, Oprah was huge in daytime television. I will be on Oprah's television show with the word expert under my name. That was my ambition when I was in fifth grade. And what were the transition moments that you went through as you saw yourself as that Janet Jackson dancer to where you're at today? What were those transition moments that you went through? You know, I got older and and matured a bit, and I'm still not completely giving up the dream of being a backup dancer for Janet. But I will say that education and dance lessons and a little bit of self-awareness drifted me a little bit away from that. Yeah, I grew up in a very small town. I went to college. I had no idea what college was for, but I knew I had to go. And I decided at some point along the way that it would be my calling to be a civil rights attorney. And I wanted to help people who had been disenfranchised kind of get what they were owed. And my senior year of college, I found out how much law school was going to cost. And I found out what pro bono meant. And I realized I would not be going to law school. So I took a detour. I went back to school. I got a, a second bachelor's degree in computer science. I worked in IT for 20 years, the last 12 of those in the insurance industry. And when the company that I worked for hired a chief diversity officer, I read the job description, the press release, everything I could get my hands on about that work and decided that I really wanted to be in that space, that if companies cared about equity and cared about justice, then that was probably a sustainable career. And so I started volunteering as much as I could, learning as much as I could about the work and eventually left to solve a problem that I didn't feel like was being adequately addressed. And that problem was 
what can one person do to make a difference in an organization? And I set out to solve that problem and came up with a good enough idea that I got to leave my job. And now today I am still working for that spot on Oprah's show with the word expert under my name. So hopefully I'll get there. Amy, have you ever experienced a job transition, laid off, position eliminated, fired? Have you personally experienced? Well, Bob, I grew up in IT in the early 2000s, and I am proud to say that I have been laid off, right-sized, outsourced, outplaced, reorged, let go, laid off, and otherwise asked to leave just about every company in the Indianapolis area at one point or another. So yes, I've been through that a lot. I'm curious when that happens to you or to others that you might be coaching, how do you tell your people, your contacts that you have been laid off? What's the the best way to describe that to them? So, you know, I'm not on the side of laying people off, right? I work out in the world outside of corporate now. I've been in the position where I've had to lay people off. It was pretty horrific, but I came at it from a place of empathy having been there. And I can tell you that the first time I was laid off, I was six months pregnant and not that far out of college and absolutely panicked because I thought my life was set. I thought everything was good. I was a grown up now. I didn't need help from anybody. And all of a sudden I had a car payment, a mortgage, a baby on the way and no job and no health insurance. And it was absolutely terrifying for me. So I know exactly the place that that feels like, or at least what it felt like for me in that moment. And I think The more empathy you can have with people who are facing an uncertain tomorrow, the better remembered you will be and the more able you'll be able to help them get to a tomorrow that looks good for them. And when that happened to you, Amy, how did you communicate what happened to you, to your friends, to your contacts, to people that could help you get through the transition? Well, you know, in that case, I was so new to it and I was so scared. I don't know that I handled it very well at all. I did manage to find another job before my baby was born. But it was really a struggle because I didn't know at that time how to network. I didn't know how to be resilient. I didn't, things had been going pretty well for me up to that point. And it wasn't until several years and several layoffs later that I realized that when I got that news another time and I I heard the people around me talking about it, not in a place of despair and dismay and panic, but almost like they were excited about the opportunity for what they were going to do with their severance check or where they were going to get to go next or what they were going to get to to try that they hadn't tried in their careers yet, that it even occurred to me. And this was many years later. I was on my second child by this point that I had a choice about how I responded, that I could do something different. And so what I did in that moment was I basically sat down and said, okay, well, what can I learn from this experience? What's the best way for me to think about this going forward? And is it the right time to leave or do I really want to buckle down and try to figure out what can I learn from this experience? Because I had a little bit of runway in that case. It wasn't one of those where they kind of yank the rug out from under you, hand you a box and send you backing. And then eventually I did get that kind of layoff from that company. But in that moment, I was able to choose something different. But what I found was most helpful in other cases after I kind of made this mindset shift was there's this proverb that the best time to to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And I think the same is true with your network. You need to build a network before you need a network. And you need to pour into your network as much as you can early so that people have really good feelings about you before you are in a position where you need to ask for help. 
So if you're not in transition yet, it's a good time to go build your network. It's a good time to go ask people how you can help. What are they working on? What kind of resources do they need? Who can you introduce them to? And really put yourself out there in a way as a resource to others before you need them to be a resource for you. And then what happens is when people find out that you need help, they're usually pretty happy to help you because they kind of feel like that they owe you, even though that's not the point of it, right? But but they kind of feel like they they owe you that much courtesy. And so I've gone to people and said, look, I'm pretty sure this job is in its dying moments, right? I can see the writing on the wall. And I'm curious, what ideas do you have about what I could do next? Or even if I know kind of where I want to go, right? This is kind of what I'm thinking. Do you know anybody I could talk to about that kind of position or that kind of work? Do you know anybody who does hiring for that that I could talk to? And so I'm not directly asking for a job. I'm not directly asking for a mentor. I'm not directly asking for a lifeline. What I'm asking for is information. And a lot of times people will say, oh, you know what? I think you'd be great at that. And I happen to know someone who's hiring. Let me introduce you. So you can kind of ask a question away from the question. And the earlier you start, the better off you are. Now, if you're in a crisis mode where your job ends Tuesday, take a breath, take a moment, calm down. It's going to be okay. Sleep on it. Think about what is it you really want to do. And then on Wednesday, call some folks and say, hey, I know I haven't been in touch in a while. I'm in a tough spot. You know, maybe I haven't been in the job market for a while. Can we meet and talk about what you're seeing in the market, what you're seeing in this industry? What are the companies that you've heard great things about? What are the companies that you think I should maybe stay away from right now? And they'll usually give you some pretty good information. That's a, good, a lot of good market intel. Amy, what does it mean to leave your current job well, that you want to be a good lever and to be known as that? When you exit a company, there are two things happening. You're leaving the organization, but you're also leaving the people that you worked with in the organization. Now, the organization itself will change and evolve over time. So you want to make sure that anything that you have nice to say about the org, you say it. And anything that you, it's not so nice to say you maybe keep that to yourself or at least not blast it on social media. But also remember that there are other people in your organization in the same boat. Maybe they got terminated and they are also looking for work. Maybe they were not terminated, but they feel really guilty and they don't understand why they're still there. And so on your way out, make sure you thank the people that you worked with, that you appreciated, that you enjoyed working with, that you learned something from. Ask how you can keep in touch with them because you're really invested in what they're going to do next, whether it's at that company or somewhere else. If you are fortunate enough to land a job right away because you've been working your network for a while, reach out to the other people that are looking and offer to make introductions for them. And here's the thing about any industry that you're in, and I will say this is especially true about tech jobs in Indianapolis, where I live, you know, eventually you're going to work with these folks again. So you want to make sure that you leave them with a positive feeling about you wherever you go and under whatever circumstances you depart. Amy, why might you have to deal with your family's emotions when you lose your job? Oh my goodness. Especially if you're the breadwinner, they're worried about what happens to my skating lessons and do I still get to play hockey? And <laughs> your spouse may be worried about benefits. Your spouse may be worried about paying bills on time. A lot of us really have our identities wrapped up in our jobs and it can be devastating for us, but we don't realize that our families are part of our identities too. And they also 
share in our pride about our work. So it can be very difficult for our families when they think, well, maybe we're not okay. Maybe we're not as stable as we thought we were. Maybe things are going to change for us too. And so even though you're the one dealing with this in a a very immediate and primary sense, your family's going to have feelings about that as well. And we need to deal with that. But keep in mind, our families can also be great sources of the future for us, right? They know people, our spouses know people, presumably, that have jobs that might work in industries that appeal to us or in companies where we want to work. Our kids have friends with parents who have jobs who might want to help us. And so the more positive we can be with our families, the better able they'll be to navigate this space with us and, you know, with their sanity intact, but also maybe even be a bridge to help us to what's next. Amy, how do you coach people to do effective self-care after they've been laid off? You know, any change that we experience, whether it's a positive change like a promotion or a new baby or a marriage or a, I will say, a, a more trying change like a job loss, a divorce or a death, all of these changes affect our health. They affect our mental health and our physical health. And a lot of physical ailments actually go back to how well do we manage that stress? Everything from headaches to anxiety to heart disease to certain kinds of cancer come up for us, right, if we don't manage our stress well. And so the way I tell people to manage their stress is what I learned when I went through postpartum depression counseling. I have three children, and after all three of them, I had pretty bad postpartum depression. After my first two babies, it went untreated. But after the third, when I was actually having a panic attack in the hospital room, my doctor said, maybe we should get you some help, honey. And I said, oh, thank you. That'd be great. What I realized was, yeah, I drove across town every week. The last thing you want to do with a newborn, by the way, when you're depressed is get dressed and drive across town on Wednesday morning. But I did because my doctor told me I had to. And what I learned during that time was that the facilitator of these groups would always ask us the same questions. And those questions were, do you have good sleep hygiene? Meaning, do you go to bed at the same time every night? Do you turn off your electronics? Do you have a nighttime routine that tells your brain and body it's time to rest now? Whether you're sleeping or not, are you doing the right things to get yourself to sleep? The second question was always, when you woke up this morning, did you look outside and express gratitude for a new day? Did you let the sunlight hit your face? The third question was, are you eating? And if so, are you eating anything healthy? Some people, Bob, apparently forget to eat when they're stressed. I have the opposite problem. I forget that I can put food away when I'm stressed. So just paying attention to what goes in because we literally are what we eat. And if we're not eating anything, we don't have the mental capacity. We don't have the reserves physically or emotionally to deal with what we're going through. And if we're only eating junk, which is what some of us, namely me, tend to do when we're stressed, we don't have the right nutrients to take care of ourselves. So we really do need to pay attention to what we're putting in our bodies, staying away from drugs and alcohol, dealing with those things as much as we can before we have to, but definitely when we're stressed, we need to avoid those things. And the fourth question was always, did you get outside and go for a walk? Even if it's just five minutes, did you walk away from what's stressing you and just put one foot in front of the other for a few minutes to get a little bit of movement, a little bit of exercise? And all of those are pretty standard self-care questions. But the fifth one was the one that surprised me. And it was, what do you have scheduled that you're looking forward to? And this was the key for me, because if I've got something on my calendar that I know I'm excited about that's happening on Saturday, every time I think about Saturday, I feel a little happy right now. I can borrow happiness from the future 
and apply it into my mood right this moment. And what I realized from that is we do this all the time in the other direction where we worry about the future. We think about the horrible outcomes that could be and we take all of that imagined misery from the future and put it in ourselves right now and make ourselves miserable in the right now. But we have a choice about whether we're going to worry about something that may or may not happen that would be bad or we can just plan for something that's good that we enjoy and we can be happy all the way up until that moment. And so what I realized was if I always had something to look forward to, I always had an anchor in happiness. Now, those five things aren't going to fix whatever's wrong in the world around us, but those five steps give us the tools we need to deal with whatever comes our way. Amy, I can tell you from personal experience, the one thing that I remember in going through my uh, transition was my calendar. I remember thinking that before I got laid off, people were fighting to get on my calendar. And then after I was laid off, I was fighting to get something put on my calendar. And that whole notion in terms of looking forward to something just resonates so true to me. Of course. And I want to be clear, it doesn't have to be a trip to the Bahamas. It can be coffee with your sister or a Zoom meeting with a friend in another town. It can be something as simple as seven o'clock. I'm going to go listen to music I like to listen to, and I'm going to crank it up loud and get in the shower and take a long, hot shower. But I know that I have something that makes me feel good coming up. Why, when you're unemployed, why is it even more important that you're aware of your strengths and capabilities and what you bring to a potential employer? Well, that's one of the first questions they're going to ask you in an interview, should you get that far. But I think the important reason is sometimes if we feel desperate, we will grab onto anything that looks like it might save us. And that can lead us to very bad decisions in the long term. So if we are grounded in who we are and what's important to us and what we do well, we're going to be able to find the thing that feeds the what we do well, that feeds our souls. And then is actually a good opportunity for us, not just the first opportunity for us. And do you think you can aim too low on your job search? Yes, we absolutely can. And I know that sometimes people really are desperate, right? They really do have to have a job by Friday. And I get that. We have a lot more options now than we used to have. And so we can do things like gig work, right? We could even drive for Uber if we need to in the short term. But I caution people against making any long-term commitment that is not fulfilling to them. And if you do have to make even a short-term commitment that's not fulfilling to you, you can tell yourself, look, this is a stepping stone. This is something that I'm doing as a way to get me where I'm going. But what we don't want to do is wrap our identities up in something that isn't who we want to be or that isn't where we want to stay, because that can be very damaging to us psychologically where we say, well, I am only this or I am only able to do this. And then we talk ourselves out of being good at the things that we're really good at and contributing at the level that we can contribute. And I'm not discounting anyone's work, regardless of what kind of job you have. If it's where you want to be, by all means, stick with it and do it. But if you have to take work that's not meaningful for you, keep in mind you're bigger than your job. And maybe this job is a tool to get you to the thing that you're really meant to do. You talked a little bit earlier about networking and the importance of that. Why should you create a diversified network of individuals to help you in that job search? So it occurs to me that all opportunity flows through our networks. Maybe if you are just graduating from college, you will get a job from a job fair or you'll get a job 
off of Indeed, maybe. But pretty much after that first job, if you're a professional office kind of worker, you're probably going to get your next job because, or you probably got your last job because of someone you knew. Somebody who knew you and knew a hiring manager and put you together, or somebody who knew you and knew of an open position and led you to it, or somebody who had an open position and thought of you and tapped you on the shoulder. That's how most of us get jobs now. So if we think about opportunity flowing through our networks, we don't want a network that is all in our same industry, right? Because our jobs usually span multiple industries, our careers span multiple industries. We don't want a network that is concentrated in one company, right? Because that company may have some blind spots or the company may go under and then all of the people that we know are in the same place. We definitely don't want a network that is just the people in our department or just on our team, because if there's a reorg or a reshuffle and we all get gone, how are we going to help each other if we're all in crisis? And industry is just one example of the kind of diversity that we need in our networks. But the more people we know and the more people we know in different places, the better we are at sort of cross-pollinating opportunity, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. And I'm a firm believer that every good deed we do comes back. Why is presenting yourself well on LinkedIn important in your job search? And Amy, if you were coaching someone about their LinkedIn presence, what's the three things that you would tell them that they should do to their LinkedIn page? Okay, so the first part of your question was, why does LinkedIn matter? Well, most professionals are on LinkedIn. That's number one. So people are gonna go look for you there first. In fact, I was in some referral circles with people who didn't have a LinkedIn profile at all. They were small business owners who didn't have a LinkedIn profile. And I was very honest with them and I said, I cannot refer people to you because the people that I work with, the people that I know, if they can't find you on LinkedIn, they don't know you exist because that's where they network. That's that's where we do it, right? And so that's number one. But number two, LinkedIn ranks really, really high in search results. So if somebody Googles you, you want them to find you at your professional best in those Google search results. So being active on LinkedIn can really help. Now, in terms of the three things that I think everybody should have on their LinkedIn profile, number one, you need a professional photo of you in your profile photo. Not you and three of your friends, not you with a selfie at a bar, a professional photo of you. And if that means that you go to JCPenney's and you spend $60 for a headshot, do it. If you can hire a better photographer, do that. Get a professional looking headshot because that's going to be a lot of people's first impression of you. And if it's, you know, you holding a beer at a party, not so professional, right? They're wondering, can I put this person in front of my clients? Can I put this person in front of my CEO? Can I put this person in front of my chief technology officer? So you want to make sure that your photo is representative of who you are as a professional, not at a keg party. That's number one. The second thing is you should have your name in your profile the way you want people to address you. So I see a lot of people with nicknames in their profile or they have their, maybe their their maiden name in their LinkedIn profile. I would be very careful about that because if people don't know what name to use for you, they may not call you at all or they may not talk about you in rooms full of opportunity. So be very clear about what name you use. And the third thing I would recommend is that you don't use your job title as your headline. You use the headline to express your personal brand. So, for example, maybe you're a software developer. Don't have software developer as your headline on LinkedIn. You can have that as your job title down in the job experience part. But in the headline, what kind of software developer are you? Are you an innate problem solver? Are you someone who can translate business problems 
into technical solutions? Are you someone who is deeply technical and can identify bugs in code 50 layers deep? Find out who you are within that profession and make that your headline because that's going to help people know who you are authentically. They can search your job history. But let them know who you are, not what your title is. Amy, why do you think it's important that your values are in line with the values of your future boss and your future company? Well, I think values alignment is really important because that's the real measure of culture fit. A lot of times we think of culture fit as who do we want to have a beer with? And I don't think that's the right measure. Values alignment is about this company is headed in a direction that I want to go. And I want to see this organization succeed at what they're doing. And its values alignment is also about priorities. So the example that I use is, you know, if you go to Disney World, their priorities are safety, family, and fun in that order. If it's fun, but it's not safe, you can't do it at Disney. And I think we all need to think about where are our values and how are they prioritized? Because if we don't know how we prioritize those values, that's where conflict comes in. So if my priorities are fun first, safety second, I'm going to have a much different weekend experience than somebody who is safety first and fun second. Do you think that a candidate should rehearse their answers to the questions they might get from a recruiter? And if you think so, how do they do that? So I think everybody's a little bit different. I don't like to do all or nothing advice. My advice would be if you are naturally good at speaking off the cuff, go with that, but have an outline, know what your talking points are, and think of stories that you can tell around those talking points. You don't have to script it out word for word, and it doesn't have to be super rehearsed. It's probably better if it's not a rote, memorized answer, right? Because you want to come off as genuine and authentic. But know what you're going to say, know what you're going to talk about, and know who you're talking to. So if a recruiter calls you from a company that you've been eyeing for a while, you should probably know a little bit about that company and its mission and its values and how you and your work align with that mission and how you align with those values. And you should think in advance of stories that support that narrative. So for example, if they're very heavy on customer service and you know this, you can talk about your experience in customer service or a time that you went above and beyond for a client or customer and help them see you in that environment doing the work that they do. Why should you see each setback, and you will go through setbacks in your job search as a learning experience versus that you failed at something? Ooh, this is a hard one because so many of us have been conditioned to be perfectionists and we feel like rejection of our application is a rejection of us personally. And I can tell you, I've been there and it, it is hard to think, oh, they don't want me. And it's not really that it's we're not a good fit right now. And if you think about that, you're rejecting people all the time. If you walk down the aisles of a supermarket, you're rejecting brands left and right, literally left and right. I don't like these pickles. I prefer these pickles. I don't like this cereal. I prefer this cereal. And it's really about a fit in the moment. And that's what employers are doing with us. They're trying to see like, is this the right person to pull off the shelf in this moment? And sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't. But what we can learn from that is we go back and we ask for feedback from the interviewer. I understand I wasn't selected for this position and I'm disappointed, but I'd like to come back next time as a stronger candidate. Should this position come open again, what could I do differently to be better positioned in your mind for this role? And I think that way we learn 
maybe we really aren't a good fit and maybe we would have been miserable in that job, right? Because if they say, look, our values are completely misaligned and we felt like you told us a story about how you are incredibly detail oriented. And when we heard that story, we realized that because we are an agile shop and because we are moving at a very fast clip and good enough is good enough for us, you would have been really frustrated here because we never get it perfect. And in fact, we pride ourselves on not getting it perfect. You just dodged a bullet for your career because you would have gone in and been really frustrated. But now you know a question to ask next time. If detail orientation is super important to you, you know to target a company that values excellence, attention to detail, it's perfect before it ships, as opposed to a company that's like, yeah, just get out the door and we'll fix it later. So those kinds of values can come up in interviews and you may not even be aware of what they're asking for, but going back and asking those questions can make a huge difference in how you process being overlooked and how you move forward with the next interview. Amy, do you have any books or other resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, I do, as a matter of fact, and if I may just shamelessly plug my own book for a moment, I have a workbook that I call Moving from Panic to Purpose. It's called the Companion Workbook because it goes with a course that I offer. And in this book, it's about 30 pages of setting the context for the change or the transition that you're in, tracking your self-care, and really coming out the other side with a plan that puts you in the driver's seat. So much of our fear around change is that we feel out of control. And this workbook helps you divide out what you can control and what is out of your control so you can focus on the things that you actually have influence over and come out with a plan that leaves you stronger. It's the same process that I have used for years in dealing with layoffs, transitions, promotions, personal changes, all sorts of things. And I put it in a workbook because people kept asking me, how do you do this so quickly? How do you come out with a plan so quickly? And I realized that I was doing something that was a little bit unique. So I, I put it in a book. Amy, if you want to have our listeners to remember three things from our discussion, what are the three things that you want them to take away? So the first thing I would recommend is plant your trees before you need the shade. Invest in your network, know your strengths, build your LinkedIn profile, be a reputable professional before disaster strikes. The second thing is when you find yourself on the receiving end of a change that you don't want, focus very firmly on self-care because your brain needs a lot of resources in general, but especially when you're stressed and you need to make sure that you are getting enough sleep and enough nutrients. Focus on you so that you can perform well in a crisis situation, however you define the crisis. And the third thing I would say is reach out to your network right now and ask somebody how you can help them in the hopes that you'll never have to ask them to return the favor. Great advice, both those three items, as well as the last 30 minutes or so of our discussion. I knew from the moment that we got together that this was going to be a fun and rich and rewarding discussion. So from me and all of my listeners, Amy, thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We're working in unprecedented times. The purpose of these episodes is to give you the support and critical tools to adjust with the changing marketplace. I'll continue to introduce you to guests who have successfully survived their own obstacle course and can share useful information. If today's message was helpful to you, please share it on your social media. Your review and rating helps get this to more people. 
Also, if you have questions or podcast ideas for future conversations, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Change is constant. The more prepared you are for it, the better and easier the change will occur. Thank you again. This is your host, Bob Gerst. See you at our next episode.